0: Hello City of Champion podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, my guest is Amos Keiner-Nauticus, and we're talking about design in the City of Edmonton. Amos is the founder of Design Etc., a company whose work explores the activation of underutilized spaces in the city through placemaking, public art, architecture, and urban design. You'll recognize some of their work around the city, which Amos talks about. Um, Most recently, they were responsible for the Rainbow Road mural just off of White Avenue. Uh, That's been everywhere, it's been all over both traditional and social media in the last week. Uh, Check it out, if you haven't already, just Google Rainbow Road Edmonton, uh, and go see it in person, of course, because it's better that way. In addition to making our city more beautiful and livable for everyone, Amos and his group also work with City Hall various other groups to accommodate Edmonton's marginalized community through strategic and thoughtful design. He's very passionate about what he does, and he loves talking about it, so that makes him my favorite kind of guest, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amos Kynernodikus. It's nice to be sitting across from uh, such a sharp-dressed young man, handsome
1: young man. I'm usually not this (laughs) sharp-dressed. Well, five days ago, I was covered in paint doing CTP interviews, so... You didn't dress up just for the podcast, right? You know no, no, video. it's... Uh, I'm barely in the office these days. and am usually in the shop, so yeah. it's nice to to put on a nice pair of pants, come into an office and drink coffee and not have to get dust all
0: over me. There's something you said for, like, getting dressed up, going to work. I know, like, so many people are working from home oh, now, yeah. and, like, it's... It, it puts you in a different mindset. Like actually putting on real clothes versus your sweatpants. Or, you know. I love it.
1: I can't work at home. I tried for a long time yeah. and it just, either I get sidetracked and make pasta at 11 a.m. Yeah. or like I'm sitting in my sweats all day and just feeling like a, like a blob. That's your go-to is pasta. Yeah, it, I, I'm hungry. It's 11 a.m. Why don't have a little pasta and watch a little TV, right? Because you gotta wait. It, it takes some time. And yeah. You, you can really. Well, uh, exactly. you and procrastinate. The, the floors are dirty, so I gotta sweep them. My dog has to go outside. Like things just pile up. I need to get out of the house. I need to put on some pants. I need to go get a seven dollar coffee, and like sit in my office
0: and just be productive. <laughs> seven dollar? Is that what those pharaohs are for? Yeah, what? you can see my little collection.
1: There. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Big supporter. Amos, so I'm glad that we had a chance to finally do this. I feel like we've been talking about this for almost a year now, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so just for the listeners, like, what I want to do here in this conversation is talk about all the things that go on behind the scenes in mm-hmm. Edmonton to help make it a functioning and vibrant and exciting city to live in. I know from, like, my experience talking to people at City Council that, um there's so much that happens that unless you're seeking it out it's hard to come across it's kind of hard to kind of grasp the depth of, of everything that's going on so mm-hmm. um, for me you are you're a great person to talk to about that
1: absolutely yeah I'm excited to, to get into it
0: so let's start with uh, like the basics like mm-hmm. who are you and what do you do and then we're gonna dive more into all of that
1: yeah so I uh, amos Kaironicus I'm the principal founder of design etc we're in urban design public art and placemaking studio I uh, Do work across Edmonton, kind of um, a, a lot of public art, but a lot of city planning and uh, what we call placemaking, which is you know these kind of low cost, high impact, community driven initiatives um, to create vibrant areas, to create a little bit more playfulness in our areas, to support businesses. Um, a lot of the work that we do is in business improvement areas, uh, so bringing together you know this critical mass of people and creating. City vibrancy mm-hmm.
0: uh, to support our city's goals and to support business as well. Now, before you kind of got into the profession mm-hmm. of it is what yeah. that you do, were you an artist?
1: Yeah, so um, it's a, a weird kind of path that I've taken. I was originally a graphic designer mm-hmm. um, many moons ago, and then I got a Bachelor of Arts in Urban Planning. Um, and now, what I do is a kind of a weird mix of uh, art and city planning and so you know we've we're professional artists we've exhibited the art gallery of Alberta Mm -hmm. Um, we're also somewhat of landscape architects we have some streetscape renovation projects and some of that stuff we're community builders Um, so we like to gather together people in the community to to kind of realize some of the outcomes that they like to see um, and bring together those groups Uh, so it's kind of a weird mix of different things that i've gotten into over the years i try to just have As much fun and create uh, the city that I want to see and luckily a lot of people have also shared that vision (laughs) 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 luckily people have kind of bought into that and so it's worked out pretty well so far
0: so the is there a difference in kind of um, satisfaction having like something that you've created be in a gallery versus like in public on the street on White Ave that kind of stuff
1: yeah you know what I thought so we, we had our first, it was my first exhibition at the Major Art Gallery um, called Nest for the End of the World, uh, which exhibited from, I think it was January 3rd to March 3rd. Granted, uh, the pandemic kind of shut that down early, mm-hmm. um, but it was a really interesting exhibition. The Art Gallery kind of commissioned us to create this nest that you might find at the end of the world. So it was all about kind of the, the climate change realities that the world is facing, and so mm-hmm. they said you know, if the world was to end, mm-hmm. what would your nest look like at the end of the, you know,
0: kind of when you're sheltering yourself oh, from okay. all the world's problems. So kind of going back to more of a paleolithic era. Yeah, well, or... it would be like, you know, but w- with our from iPhones. a <laughs> philosophical standpoint, you
1: know, how are you sheltering yourself from the realities of the world? Mm-hmm. But from a literal standpoint, you know, what would you actually create as your nest when the world starts to end? Mm-hmm. So we partnered with the Glass Bookshop um, and a number of other organizations to kind of create this little reading nook space that was protected from everything else. Which it was really great, it was really fun. Um, and it opened up the Art Gallery of Alberta and I was like, you know what, this is my first exhibition at a major art gallery. You know, I've made it, like, yeah. this is gonna be really fun. And it was great, um, but some of the public art projects that we've done where we've gathered community together and we work in public space, and people can really be in there and experience it, anyone can be in there and experience it. It had a lot more impact than exhibiting at a professional art gallery. Not to say it wasn't exciting. Yeah. It was super exciting and I felt very professional. Yeah. Um, But I prefer the projects where we can bring together so many members in the community, Mm -hmm. create public spaces that everyone can enjoy, Mm -hmm. um, and they can really kind of experience it and see
0: it. Yeah, well, one of the purposes of art is to mm-hmm. spark discussion, right? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, like in the vein of a Banksy, for example. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever see that doc that he did? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was unbelievable. Or yeah. right, he didn't even like, start it. Yeah, he yeah. He just ended up taking some loser's footage who couldn't finish the thing. It was a total fraud mm-hmm. and putting it together.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and Banksy's really interesting because he takes kind of simple concepts and just does them kind of – you know in your face overwhelming Mm -hmm. and and that's kind of what we like to do too i mean we just finished a mural on white avenue called rainbow road it's Mm -hmm. kind of been getting a lot of attention and it's 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 a hexagon that we've traced out and colored in like it's not high art it's not i'm no picasso (laughs) um but we decided you know let's not do three of them let's do 357 of them Mm -hmm. and cover the entire street Mm -hmm. um with this like magnificent pop of color and so it had a huge impact and i'm more worried about the impact that it has Mm -hmm. um, on the community, on people who experience it, uh, than the actual
0: art itself. If it has a big impact, That's really what I'm concerned with. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got like the difference between like a Picasso or a Da Vinci who mm-hmm. does these like really intricate, like high, high level art work, mm-hmm. but then you've got modern art where people are like splattering paint on the canvas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Both are considered highest, you know, of the highest kind of value in that mm-hmm. field. But like, what you know, what is it that truly makes something great? Like, is it is it the reach? Is it the mm-hmm. discussions that stem from it? Like, obviously, what's so cool about Rainbow Road is that mm-hmm. like. Apart from being in a gallery somewhere, you're out in the public, people are taking photos. Like your spot yeah. became Instagrammable. Yeah. That, that maybe that's like the 21st century goal yeah. to make my art Instagrammable.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, and it, you know, more than just uh, becoming an Instagram hotspot, it's kind of a spotlight on some of the underutilized space in our city which is what we really, really like to do mm-hmm. um so you know we have this alleyway that the city closed down and turned into a tidal lot to become a pedestrian back street mm-hmm. um but it looked like an alleyway you know there's crumbling asphalt and it looks like cars have driven down all the time so people don't want to walk down there i mean they were kind of trained not to walk into roads so it's a weird concept dark spaces roads well, that kind of thing. exactly and so we thought let's highlight this space mm-hmm. and you know bring this huge pop of color into there so you have that, you have the made by Marcus Alleyway mm-hmm. and the amount of people that are going into that back alley now uh, is is amazing. Yeah. And so we're uncovering these hidden spots in our city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as we grow to a million people, as we go to two million people and three million and beyond, we're going to have to find more space for people in our city mm-hmm. um, because, you know, growing is just unsustainable the way we're doing. We're going to have to find more space for people in our downtown and our BIA areas, Mm -hmm. and so a great way about doing that is uncovering these spaces, and an amazing way to do that is through art,
0: public art, and design. Now, would businesses ever look at this and look how many you know how much foot traffic's being driven through there and be like, hey, we're gonna finance some some piece of public art to like literally lead people down a road to our business? Yeah, is that absolutely. happening already? Absolutely, we've
1: already had two businesses reach out since we've done that mural, specifically yeah. from that mural, mm-hmm. to say, how do I get this in front of my business? Right, um, which is you know amazing. Uh, we also did all of the activations along White Avenue, so when they closed down that lane. Um, the OSBA reached out to us and said, hey, how do we make this space more inviting, more people-friendly? It looks like a construction zone. Um, And how do we help our businesses? And so, you know, we stuck, all we did was stick out a bunch of colorful picnic tables, some planters and, you know, some tastefully designed street furnishings. Mm And immediately, you know, as we were pulling uh, the picnic tables off the truck, people are already sitting down (laughs) eating their ice cream, right? You know, people need that space to sit, especially on our main street. And almost every business along that block has said, we're having more people walk down the street which means we're having more people come into the store more mm. people are spending money we have more space to serve people mm-hmm. um you know some of these restaurants have never seen lines outside right um you know so it, it provided space for people and businesses are already saying you know, how do we get this in front of our street? Because mm-hmm. this has had such a huge impact. Yeah. And
0: especially during COVID where like they can maybe only have half capacity well, exactly. in, their, in their establishment, right? So you've automatically yeah. extend that capacity. So hopefully it allows them to not go under and go bankrupt. Right? Well,
1: and, and that was the whole, whole idea. It's part of the economic recovery plan for the area really is to provide more space for people and for business. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've always known that we need more space on White Avenue just because it's a crap street. It doesn't even meet the city's main street guidelines. Really? Oh yeah, not at all. Is
0: that that an industry secret? Are we outing (laughs) anyone right now? (laughs) No, no,
1: it's it's out in the air. It's been known for a long time. It doesn't meet, you know, it should be about three meters. It's Mm -hmm. not. Um, And so we've known for a long time, but what COVID has kind of shown us is Mm -hmm. that um, it's not necessarily lots of people living in a certain area that's troublesome it's not having the space for them right um, and not having that space on the street it's simply impossible to have people walk down white Avenue and social distance yeah. without closing a lane for business right granted you know businesses are operating at 25 to 50 percent capacity. How are they going to serve customers like that? We need to give them more space to open up, mm-hmm. um, which you know we should be doing every summer, in my opinion, because yeah. it just creates such a vibrant
0: street. Yeah, it gives some people something to do. Like you don't even have to go spend money; you can just go walk there and people watch. There's such a lack mm-hmm. of like free things to do, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Maybe I just I'm not looking in the right places. But you know, you want to go out somewhere, and other than you know go to a restaurant or a coffee mm-hmm. shop or go sit on a patio, it's like. What do you know? What can you do? And like, mm-hmm. walking is really the only other option, or scooting in the summer, I suppose. Yes,
1: yeah. well, and and that's the importance of publicly accessible public space. Yeah. Um. So that's why it's so important to have these you know, street furnishings. Having just throwing out picnic tables on the street—that's heavily mm-hmm. trafficked. You know, people need a place to sit down and hang out and linger in an area, mm-hmm. right? They, it's not just for transportation, it's not just for shopping, yeah. they really need the holistic view of an area to, to sit there and enjoy mm-hmm. it and take it all in. I think that's something we're starting to realize in Edmonton, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we need free and accessible public space for everyone, yeah. uh, and it creates vibrant areas.
0: Now, obviously for a place that everyone wants to go to, you've got to have a way to get people there, right? Yeah. And so yeah. we are a very car driven city, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's, you know, I, I spent two and a half years without a vehicle and like yeah. if you're not staying within your little kind of quadrant of the of the city, yeah. uh, it's challenging to get around, right? Like the, the public transit is not all that connected. Yeah. Sometimes it takes you 45 minutes to bus to a place that's a 10 minute drive away or a 15 minute drive away. Yeah. Um, so, uh, take White, White Ave as an example, mm-hmm. Like there, right now people, or in the past, people just parked down White Ave. And yeah. then there's of course like the side streets and the auxiliary streets, but mm-hmm. like now as you take away that parking, how are you expecting more people to, to get there and, and, and to engage in the space?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different issues um, with the White Avenue area, as we see today. One of them is that for some reason we've prioritized White Avenue as a arterial roadway. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always said White Avenue is a Main Street first Mm -hmm. and an Artigo Roadway second. And so for a long time, we've prioritized getting traffic down White Avenue instead of really
0: focusing on the businesses down White Avenue. Yeah. Even just like to that, like when I was driving here, I Google mapped it and it said, yeah, come down 109th and then turn left on White. I'm just like like subconsciously adverse to that because I Mm -hmm. spend so much time on White, whether it's going to the bars or the shops and stuff. And I'm like, oh, like yeah, I guess you can drive down White Ave, yeah. but it just there's this blockade to me. But obviously, you see it; it's full of cars all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: And we we would like White Avenue to be full of people, right? Mm-hmm. It's our main street. It's our premier walking and shopping district. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that being said, of course, some people need somewhere to park. I mean, it, we're still a very car-oriented city. Um, White Avenue and Old Strathcona actually has a ton of parking, mm-hmm. but people don't know where to find it. And so if you go off any little back street off White Avenue, there's huge pay parking lots. Yeah. I mean, granted, you're going to have to pay three dollars for an hour. You're yeah. going to have to pay a little bit of money. Um, but it, it's a wayfinding issue, too. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't know where to park. So they assume they should park right outside mm-hmm. in front of the restaurants. Um, and we know that people don't need to do that. I mean, if you've ever been to IKEA, mm-hmm. I was there, you know, about a week ago for a project. We had to buy some material. And there's people walking by with flat packs on their shoulders to the end of the parking lot. And that's about a football field. (laughs) That's almost three city blocks to the end of the IKEA parking lot. And so if you're. Willing to do that for a hundred dollar corkboard table, yeah. Uh, you can walk one block to go get some ice cream and, and be on our main street if it's gonna help out those businesses, yeah. right?
0: I guess for me it's always it's almost like a competitive thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like trying to find the best spot possible, yeah. right? Like I need to be like within within half a block of the spot. Mm-hmm. But if you get rid of that sort of preconceived notion then it's, yeah, really what's the deal? One, two, three blocks when it's a nice day out, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, when it's minus 30, people aren't going to be wanting to wander down White Ave anyway. Yeah. Um, but actually, that's a good point. So I, I spent time two years ago in Harbin in mm-hmm. China. Yeah. So they are a sister city of ours. Have yeah. you ever like Have you ever dealt with that sister city organization oh. or studied them at all?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, so I was with the city of Edmonton and the Urban Rural Group, and one of our projects was actually the Harbin Gate. Oh really? Um, yeah, on Ninety Seventh Street, yeah. uh, which will be a part of you know, I think it's about a year down the road, but mm-hmm. replacing the the entrance to Chinatown with a yeah. gate that's actually constructed in Harden. yeah, uh, and brought over here. No way. So Super I didn't, cool. I you know, I wasn't that high enough on the, <laughs> the string to be contacting them, but I'm familiar with. Uh, yeah. with some of Yeah.
0: So stuff. I was there in February of 2018, yeah. and firstly, it's hilarious because like we were in Shanghai before. Mm-hmm. And they're like oh, what are you going to next and i said harbin they go oh why are you going there it's this like small backwoods farm town mm-hmm. and i'm like really i thought it was like a major city i look it up on on wikipedia and it's a population of 10 million yeah it's like oh just a small town of 10 million people that's the scope of things in china but we spent uh some time walking down like their pedestrian street like kind mm-hmm. of the main drag in downtown harbin it was minus 25 80 mm-hmm. percent humidity And I've never seen that many people out in... Like, it was as many people as a hot day in Edmonton wandering down White Ave or Jasper Ave. Like, it was packed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, like, a cultural thing, too, right? Like, I think for them, it was, like, they were serving ice cream. If anyone's never had ice cream in minus 25, it's great, (laughs) because it doesn't melt. (laughs) They had this, like, cool Russian sort of cream ice cream and so we got that and then yeah just wandered down we were filming there and and just taking in the sights because there's all this great historical stuff like there they have a lot of russian influence because Mm -hmm. they're so close to the border so half the street signs are in mandarin but the other half are in russian and then we come across these kind of like gothic like cathedral like russian style in china it was Mm -hmm. just the most Odd, but like very workable kind of blending of cultures there
1: yeah and you know what in Edmonton we're slowly getting there I mean we've come a lot uh, farther in the last you know five years than we have in a long time on kind of uh, coming to terms with the fact that we're a winter city Mm -hmm. and it gets cold and so you know I'll give you an example Um, we exhibit at the flying canoe festival uh, and so we had a large art installation there last year Um, these massive uh, modular light sculptures we did with these eight foot long light tubes that turned into cubes and hung from the trees. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year I believe there was about 75,000 people that walked down in that ravine over three days Mm -hmm. and it was minus 15 maybe for the whole time. Mm -hmm. The year before 50,000 and it was minus 32 the entire time. So Hmm. people are willing to Go out and do these things in the cold, yeah. but you need to make it worth their while, and you really need to make it enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, and so having this amazing light display, having these warming huts, having you know hot chocolate being served, telling a cultural story of mm-hmm. the you know French Canadian Indigenous peoples, um, this wonderful story about the flying canoe, mm-hmm. um, people loved it, and people will go there in minus thirty. And so if we can apply that same logic to some of our streets, you know, there's there's lots of things that you you need to have. Just basics that you need to have to have a good street in the winter. You know, you need adequate access to sunlight mm-hmm. because it'll warm you up. Whether it actually is warming the temperature up, yeah, it, you feel warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, using bright and warm colors. So you know, we have a, a tendency in Edmonton to have these gray, sleek. Uh, you know, and, and I obviously I'm in architecture design. I think some of them are good, but. Yeah. Um, when you add these pops of color and it can be subtle, but when you see warm color, when you see wood finishes, Mm -hmm. you feel warmer. Right. Um, And so there's a ton of these things that you can implement to make a street feel warmer than it actually is and make people actually want to go down that Mm -hmm. street. You know, having, having places that you can pop in and out of Mm -hmm. Um, if you ever walked in some of the streets downtown, it's getting better but some of those large yeah. office blocks where you can't go in a door for a whole block. Yeah. Um. When it's minus 32, you know, you need to be able to stop in and stop out. So yeah. on White Ave, which is great, you can kind of go into a store, check it out. Yeah. Not even if you want to buy anything, pop out, walk two stores down, go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that we can do to actually make our streets, you know, like you said in Harvard, where mm-hmm. everyone's walking down, and it's a vibrant street life. I yeah. think slowly we're coming to terms with that um, and coming to terms with that we can be a, cool winter city. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that, oh, I in so cool in the summer and then it sucks for eight months. It sucks, but we got hockey. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I can, I can stay inside and watch hockey for eight months. Yeah. Um, We're starting to realize that we can embrace that Mm -hmm. and kind of create this cool winter culture. Um, so you know, we have winter patios popping up now mm-hmm. downtown at uh, your Rocky Mountain Ice House. So you can go and have a winter beer yeah. on their patio, and it's amazing. It's it's like totally being at a ski resort. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we can create that kind of vibe and that cool winter culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just takes a little bit of, of thoughtful design mm-hmm. um, and some champions.
0: What? Uh, who? Who do you look at as sort of like the gold standard worldwide to be like a winter city? Like who are the who are the top? tier of the cities that you look towards?
1: Um, Oslo would be one. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm we had a down. downed piece of artwork. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, the dog, man. And you know, we're just trying it out in a new spot. Mm-hmm. I think it looks good there.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Montreal and Ottawa as well. I mean, we don't have to look outside of Canada or North America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ottawa has... Winter festivals that you know don't even compare to ours, mm-hmm. where they bring people down to the river and engage with it. Um, they have this great winter design competition they throw every year where they offer design groups uh, a commission to come and build uh, certain installations that invite citizens to engage with the winter culture. Mm-hmm. You know, Montreal is a beautiful place in the winter, and it's not just because it's Old Town Montreal, they actively design and
0: actively beautify their spaces Mm -hmm. for kind of a winter city. Does their architecture also invite sort of public and like pedestrian spaces? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So why is it that like, what, what was the shift from like, obviously Montreal, Ottawa, old cities Mm -hmm. in Canada, right? Edmonton, a relatively new city compared to those. Mm -hmm. Why, what was the shift that made us build these kind of giant sort of industrial concrete slab buildings? that when we already had a great template for what a winter city should look like? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's a a little bit of just the timeline that Edmonton's gone down. I mean, a post-World War II city, when we really hit a boom in development, um, you know, the thinking at the time was that people want to drive their cars and we need to grow as fast and as cheap as possible and grow outwards. So for a long time, we had this donut city is what we call it. Um, where you go to work downtown for your nine-to-five mm-hmm. uh, you stay inside the pedway system and you go for lunch and then you go back out to your suburban home and it empties the, the downtown yeah and so when you have that kind of culture of course businesses aren't going to invest in having that, you know street spaces and spaces for people outside when everyone's gone yeah. at 5 mm-hmm. Uh and so it's taken a lot of strategic investment and pushing um, both from private stakeholders and from the city to revitalize and invite people back downtown mm-hmm. and start to redo some of these streets to make them people friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thinking before was that you you only need a meter, maybe a meter and a half for a street and all it needs to do is have people walk down it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really to have a walkable community, you need some place to go. So previously there was really nowhere to go downtown. You mm-hmm. couldn't go to any of these little shops or anything like that because right. it's just office buildings. Um, you need a way to get there. So you need a sidewalk or, or some type of transportation though, to get there, mm-hmm. which we're now starting to build sidewalks on every street, which seems like a no brainer. <laughs> um, but you need it to be enjoyable and you need it to be beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once those three things come together, you have this walkable street mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of kind of different elements. It's a holistic view. Right. And so as Edmonton kind of developed, the, the thought was on, you know, car centric, uh, streets and cars strategic development. Um, and that's, you know, thankfully that's starting to change quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, not to say that we need to kick all the cars off the roads, but what we're realizing is that development can be a lot, be better for the private industry and better for people in the city Mm -hmm. when it's
0: focused on people on the street. Right. Is there, is there kind of a, a conflicting of interest when it comes to, say a group that's building a tower Mm -hmm. and it's all filled by like one one company or something Mm -hmm. and they don't care about the pedestrians there's no retail in it they're just they just want their employees to get there and then leave like Mm -hmm. do they almost need to be pushed to say no like or their or their bylaws that that force builders now to be like look you have to have a certain amount of mixed use space on the ground level so that pedestrians can interact with that space
1: yeah yeah no and it's it's a zoning issue as well, Um, and so there is zoning that will ensure, you know, when you rezone a site downtown to have a tower, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to go through a direct control zoning, um, which pretty much is a very prescriptive way of saying exactly what you can do on this site. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when the city says, you know what, you can't just build um, this block that has no uh, frontage onto the street and no interaction with the street. Um, If you're building a tower on 104th Street, you know, it has to one, be architecturally sympathetic to what's around it because it's a historic area. Mm -hmm. Um, But two, this is a mixed use and this is a pedestrian street. So you need to take that into account Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to develop onto that. And I think most developers see the benefit in that, Mm -hmm. Um, see the return on investment in providing that space for street retail Mm -hmm. um, and creating that community. Uh, I have yet to come across a developer who's, you know, been really, really reluctant to provide at-grade retail yeah. in lieu of having one big block office. Right. Um, but, you know, th- th- there comes into to play this discussion about public space and private space as well. Um, so, you know, we have things like the ICE district, mm-hmm. which, you know, is going to be beautiful. It's going to be a great plaza space, a great public space, but it's also privately owned. Um, and so, you know, the, the discussion we're having now in the city is kind of like this free accessible public space that the city maintains and developers front onto mm-hmm. creates this, you know, interesting public space blend. Yeah. But when it becomes a privately owned public space, mm-hmm. um, granted, it's going to be beautiful and there's street interaction and everything like that, but it's not always accessible for everyone.
0: Right, so a great example that would be like Ford Hall on Rogers Place, right? Absolutely. It's it's public most of the time, Mm -hmm. but now we've got a private event in the NHL coming in, and it's totally cordoned off, completely locked off, right? Yeah.
1: Um. Or or you know what what happens next year if it's all opened up? We're in the playoffs, and we have that huge outdoor dining area watching playoffs, and some marginalized groups in the city start you know strolling through, Mm -hmm. um, to use that kind of walkway that that goes through a full block. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but I'm sure there's going to be security mm-hmm. in that private space that is maybe, maybe not going to talk to them yeah. and say, hey, you guys are, are disrupting some people and you yeah. can't be here. So it's the problem you have when you have a privately owned public space is that mm-hmm. it's not always accessible for everyone. Mm-hmm. So my thing, you know, the best recipe is to have a beautiful public street with private buildings facing onto it mm-hmm. that creates this blend of Public and private space—you know—you don't really know which one you're in. Yeah. Um, And instead of having that hard line of I'm on a street and now I'm in a big glass building, Mm -hmm. um, it it kind of blends those two, and that's what creates vibrancy and culture.
0: Yeah. I so I know you do work when it comes to designing for marginalized populations, Mm -hmm. right? So. What, what are, what are the concerns? Like what are, what are the things that need to be considered when you're talking about something like that? Right? So you've got a space that's mostly yeah. public and then you've got a group of people that come in and say cause a disturbance or yeah. don't, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there's gotta be, you know, for some people, they might personally feel it's a disturbance yeah. when, you know, just a, a homeless person is walking through or a group of them mm-hmm. or like what, what is, what is our duty to them to, to provide them with space? How do we, how do we design? Around getting them to the places that they need to be, while also ensuring that they're not they're not actually causing a disturbance, and then throwing the security guards like it's mm-hmm. a convoluted issue. Like, what are the what are the things you guys think about when it comes to that?
1: Um, you know, at, at the start, it's designing space just for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a, a project we're working on downtown in partnership with City Centre Mall and the City of Edmonton uh, and the Downtown Business uh, Association is part of the RECOVER project with the city. And it's a social innovation through urban design initiative Mm -hmm. uh, that we call the gallery. Um, And so, you know, there's a street next to City Centre Mall uh, that a lot of these marginalized groups kind of use as their social space, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's no infrastructure to do so. There's not almost not a single bench. Mm -hmm. Um, There's barely any lighting. And so when you don't have the infrastructure for that to be a social space, you get people you know standing in groups and kind of you know maybe goofing off a little bit right and it creates a tension between the business owners people in city central mall and these groups yeah um you know they the businesses see them as this intimidating group of people because mm. they're not sitting down They're they're kind of unruly yeah uh and they see them as you know these business owners just keep kicking us out here. right Um, and so what, what we found is that we did a pilot project a year ago where all we did was stuck out some public art, Mm uh, some planters beautified the space a little bit and stuck out some seating, Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, two benches. And we started to see these two groups of people actually interact, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sit on a bench together, uh, maybe one of them was having a a cigarette off on the side and the other was just walking and talking to them. Right. Um, so actually having this interaction that we didn't see before Mm -hmm. and it created a space for everyone. Yeah. Um, and so now we're going to scale that up and really beautify this street uh, provide some of that that infrastructure for socialization Mm -hmm. Um, but we're also including some public art that has actually been designed by uh, marginalized groups Mm -hmm. Uh, and so showing them that you know this is a space for you i mean he he, we've showcased some of your art as well this is you Mm -hmm. on this building some of them don't have that dignity they can bring their friends and be like i did this yeah well exactly it's it's about dignifying them too right for sure they've never seen some of them have never seen that before Mm -hmm. um you know having a group of people show them that dignity and show them that this is your space as well Mm -hmm. um this isn't just space for for that guy in the suit over there yeah this is space for everyone um, and so there's a lot of things we can th- do through design um, to put that equity lens on mm-hmm. and say, you know, who are we really designing for? Right. Um, if we design a street that's dark and has no places to sit on it and is just made for walking down, yes, we've designed a sidewalk, we've designed a pedestrian route, um, but, you know, multiple groups in the city are going to feel much more stigmatized against in that space mm-hmm. because of the way we've designed it yeah uh, and so you really need to think about who and what are we designing for right. and making sure everyone's included in that uh, argument mm-hmm. uh, and in that conversation was
0: it you're not working with sebastian barrera right i don't believe no. so okay no. he i know he was doing some sort of art created by okay. homeless populations and yeah
1: case. we're we're working with um uh Boyle Community Services yeah. and Quarters Arts as well yeah um to to get some of their groups they do a lot of arts programming mm-hmm. um to come in and provide us with some artwork and we'll kind of showcase on the street uh we're also um you know doing some beautification things sticking out some flowers and some benches and putting out lighting yeah um, just to make it feel like a more safe space right um, but then again also including this art that they've done um, which beautifies the. The space and gives them some ownership. Yeah. So course.
0: they say, you well, know, this is my space. Yeah. It's almost like a counterintuitive approach, right? Like, versus mm-hmm. like pushing the people out that you don't want and you're just like inviting people in and saying, like, when you have ownership of it, when you feel like you're contributing to it, you're going to take better care of it, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to feel more at ease. You're not worried about, um, you know, who belongs and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember years ago, there was, um, there was a project in, in Vancouver and it was about like eliminating. Limit or providing spaces for homeless people to mm-hmm. to to live, understanding that they don't have a place to go. So like, one was like a bunch of bus stops. Actually, like at night they had like uh, I forget the name of the paint, but the paint you could see in the dark. Oh yeah. yeah, and it said like this is a place to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And you could actually flip the back of the bench up overnight, and yep. and people could sleep under there to get out of the rain, right? Mm-hmm. Just random stuff like that. I thought was a great idea. Yeah,
1: well, you know what I. Really really dislike is hostile architecture Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that has been, you know going on in cities for the last number of years where If we lay out this beautiful bench, we're gonna stick barriers in the middle of it So no one can lay down right Um, kids can't skateboard on it. Yeah, kids (laughs) can't skateboard. No one can lay down on it If someone goes to sleep, you know, their backs gonna be killing them because they're sleeping on this thing It's actively deterring a certain group of people, right? Um, and it's not, that's not a design problem. You know, the The problem isn't that we've put out benches and people are sleeping on them. Mm-hmm. The problem is that people don't have somewhere to sleep so they're forced to sleep on a bench. Yeah. You know, no one wants to go out and sleep on a street bench. Yeah. Um, so that's the root problem. We should be focusing on fixing that. Yeah, we're looking downstream instead of upstream. Yeah, right you, wrong, if right? you get security over and come and kick them out, they're it's just pushing the problem over somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my, my thing is that if we can provide just people infrastructure and people spaces, mm-hmm. but also we need to get down to the root problem of why is this person needing to sleep on a bench? Right. You know, why do we have so many people that need to sleep in, in shelters or need to sleep in uh, the kinsmen mm-hmm. or the expo center? Yeah. You know, we need to solve that. Um, and then we won't, you know, we won't have to deal with uh, all these people saying, well, why is there someone sleeping outside of my business on the bench? I don't yeah. want this bench anymore.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's obviously you're very acutely aware of Mm -hmm. of those problems. It's just, you know, there's not much you can as a designer do Mm -hmm. to help the upstream thing. You can only kind of help the downstream of like interactions and and making people feel comfortable and confident in the space, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Well, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, two ways of going about it. One is that, you know, it's a city and a province issue just providing adequate funding and doing the things that they need to do to support, permanent supportive housing, um, addictions programs, you not know, that whole swath of things, but dealing with the root problem yeah. um, before it starts. But as designers, um, if we continue to design spaces that are hostile to those individuals, mm-hmm. they're gonna feel hostile. Right. Um, you know, if if you design a bench that has spikes in it when someone lays down on it, of mm-hmm. course the person that needs to lay down is not gonna be too happy about yeah <laughs> And it's gonna, you know, so they're not going to feel welcome in that space mm-hmm. um, and of course when they're not feeling welcome in that space it's going to lead to other problems yeah and so if we can make everyone feel welcome in spaces and design spaces that are free and public for everyone and mm-hmm. actively use that lens when we design spaces yeah we're going to have better outcomes at the end There's still going to be the problem yeah. and I, I say problem with quotation marks of yeah. someone sleeping on that bench or someone you know being outside of a business in the cold mm-hmm. um, but if we're providing adequate infrastructure that invites people into those spaces Mm -hmm. uh we're going to have better interactions with between people where there's not going to be this hostility between different groups Mm -hmm. um and it's it's going to have a better outcome
0: yeah and i mean there's the psychological principle of social proof right like the Mm -hmm. bigger group of people acting in a certain way the more likely everyone else entering that group is going to act right Mm -hmm. so if you got a space with a lot of you know well-behaved pedestrians Mm -hmm. um it's, it lessens the chance that you'll get someone coming in there with more deviant behavior, right? Mm-hmm. No one wants to be the outlier in a group. Everyone kind of wants to follow the trend of how the crowd is mm-hmm. operating. And the reverse can very much be the same, obviously, when you see with, like, riots in Vancouver in 2011, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, and 94, I guess. Mm-hmm. Jeez, they love their riots in Vancouver. Um, I remember I was in those riots in oh, yeah. 2011. Like, I, te- I was technically in a bar overlooking the riots. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like, you see, you feel this thing in the air, it's just this like, this kind of shift in the wind and like Mm -hmm. everyone all of a sudden, like one window gets smashed and then something else gets smashed and then people start fighting and then, and then of course the police presence comes in and and that intimidates people and what do people do when they're intimidated? They act in a frightened way and Mm -hmm. a way that, you know, their, their judgment gets clouded by emotion. Yeah. Um, Yeah and then you also like the the human element of like you see 20 people ahead of you grabbing something out of the window of a store like it's going to feel more okay for you to do that you're like well everyone's doing it right mm-hmm. so yeah you need spaces that people are behaving in lot large groups are behaving in well um in mm-hmm. order to facilitate like good sort of social conduct yeah and well and you need to you need to understand that
1: you know, there's going to be some goofballs every once in a while. Of course, yeah. And so there was, there's for a long time, there's this theory in urban planning called the broken window mm-hmm. syndrome, um, where the thought is, like you said, if there's a broken window, it's going to invite all this crime. Yeah. So let's crack down really hard on petty crime yeah. and throw these people in jail mm-hmm. um, because we're going to make our community safer. And it completely backfired and just marginalized these individuals even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a combination of designing spaces where everyone feels welcome. everyone feels like they have ownership of it that yeah. um, it's a space for them mm-hmm. so they don't mess around as much. But that understanding too, I mean yeah, people are going to be people and some people are be, I mean we, we had a parklet that was uh, recently taken over by a couple of individuals who decided to create their own little arc show in it yeah uh, on White Avenue. Um, and you know, we, we got them the resources that they need, got them a little bit of help from, uh, our partners at, at, Boyle street and from a couple other community service agencies. Yeah. And then just repainted the parklet. Yeah. Um, you know, some goofballs are going to be goofballs and it just kind of <laughs> happens like that. You need to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but continue to, to actively invite everyone into that space. Yeah. Cause if you just keep inviting everyone into the space and designing for them, yeah. um, eventually
0: you're going to get to a place where everyone takes ownership of that space. Yeah. Or if I, and also like find ways that. People would, something looked at as typically defacing a space, right? Mm -hmm. Find a way to, you know, to to realign that into like, oh, maybe like they're actually creating the artwork. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it was the, the New York subway system. They had a big problem with like graffiti and, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, groups going down there and causing trouble. And so what they decided, they make it a concerted effort. Like every, every night, if there was defacement of one Mm -hmm. of the trains, they pull it off the tracks and then, they'd, and then they'd just paint it freshly, yep. a fresh coat on it. Yeah. So, like, the, the book I was reading was talking about this and they said that these groups would go and they would spend, like, all night, like, in the yards, like, painting and doing these mm-hmm. great big, like, street murals on these things. And then, like, the group would just, or the, the transit authority would just You'd pull them off them. right away and just yeah. paint it. It's like, that's one way to deal with it and deter them. But, like, what if you just, like, started painting them all? what if Mm -hmm. you just like decided like hey we're gonna have a competition like who can make the most badass subway car right Absolutely. who can make it look sick because like when i think of the coolest looking cities i think of like bright places that pop with color right like uh Mm -hmm. like that i forget what this town is in costa rica or -hmm. you know spain or italy like all these brightly colored places that just like add this like welcoming warmth to it
1: yeah well you know there's a problem I think sometimes when we over design uh, and top-down design spaces mm-hmm. and so when we impose uh, an overly prescriptive design on a space that people don't feel like they have ownership of and they don't feel comfortable in that space mm-hmm. um, sometimes it leads to them making it their own that's not necessarily always a problem right um, Or be an example of a space like that in, oh, a space like that in um so I'll take and this is a, maybe a poor example because there wasn't a lot of, of redecorating that went on. But Churchill Square, mm-hmm. a number of years ago, was this open swath of pavement Yeah. with nothing really ever going on. There were festivals.
0: That's um, Jasper. And and
1: so it would be 100, 100th Street. Churchill's side of city hall. Okay. Churchill Square. Yeah, yeah. Right, with the um, fountains and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, it, you know, this large open block of concrete that didn't really have any programming in it. Mm -hmm. And so you wondered why no one was ever in there. Yeah. Um, And no one was ever using it. And it's because they didn't feel like they had anything to do in that space. And it wasn't really theirs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as we started to add these bistro tables and these little movable tables, people moved them around and made it their own and kind of made their own little groups of tables and and sat down and had these programmable food elements and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff that came together, they can make it their own. Um, as opposed to a space where we stick down a concrete bench that isn't movable. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to make something your own when you it's rigid and you can't do that.
0: <laughs> people so, like modularization, right? They like customize, think, customization. It's why
1: you get, you get whenever you sit at a table, you always kind of, you know, tuck your chair in a little bit <laughs> yeah. and readjust a little bit. People like to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just how we are. So if we design more spaces that are modular in nature and can be changed up a little bit mm-hmm. and it's not a, a concrete block that you have to sit on, um, people are going to, one, feel more welcome in that space, feel like it's their own yeah. and take some ownership of that space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- that being said, people kind of changing spaces to be their own isn't always a problem. Uh, and so, you know, we have a big mural culture in this city where we've actively invited groups to come over um, and take over walls mm-hmm. and, and do these beautiful paintings, these beautiful murals. Um, and and part of that is to beautify the street and mm. make it look engaging part of it too is to to add this kind of element of arts culture mm-hmm. and that people are making the space their own they're seeing some artists like themselves kind of take over this space yeah
0: i want to ask you about the um the have mercy one by uh, okuda san miguel mm-hmm. right yeah. like obviously that's a it's a beautiful mural yeah. it's huge yeah. right yeah it adds you know, it adds character to that to that space just off-white. Mm-hmm. So first of all, what do you think about it? Do mm-hmm. you like that, that kind of stuff? And then secondly, like, how do you, how do you, you mentioned ROI earlier, like how do you determine the ROI on something like that? Like mm-hmm. obviously it has some type of visible impact on people, obviously people are going there more often to check it out, but like, is there a type of social ROI that you're able to measure mm-hmm. other than just maybe the increase in business to those particular establishments?
1: Uh, I mean firstly I love it, Yeah. Um, obviously as, a, as an artist and designer uh, I think it's a phenomenal pop of color mm-hmm. um, to that kind of again that's a kind of a previously forgotten about back alley space yeah uh, and we have a lot of these blank walls in our back alleys and these just uh, walls just brick mm-hmm. um, which is you know interesting for a little bit but it doesn't engage with the street right you feel kind of blocked off by that yeah. just Sea of brick, mm-hmm. um, so it adds a little interesting kind of poppy element. Uh, in terms of uh, a social ROI, uh, it's really hard to quantify these things, and mm-hmm. I think that's why there's been a, a pushback from the traditional approach. Was we really need to quantify these things in monetary terms of what's our what's our uh, value for taxes? Yeah. I can you know quote some of our colleagues in the city that, that mentioned that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's hard to quantify those specific things. And if you do try, it takes a really long time mm-hmm. and you're gonna spend a lot of money doing it and things are gonna fall off yeah. and just get pushed to the back burner because it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. But what I know from experience and what a lot of city builders know from experience is that when we do these arts and cultural uh, initiatives, like painting a large mural on a space like that, mm-hmm. it creates This culture and creates this vibrancy um, that you can tell only if you've been in that space Mm -hmm. Um, and so you can tell walking down 83rd Avenue um, the amount of people that just come to see this beautiful mural the amount of people that are just hanging out outside now yeah just kind of checking out the the culture there we've had some other murals pop up directly in the area Mm -hmm. I mean we did one last week Mm -hmm. and so people being in this area uh, engaging with each other and creating this critical mass of people mm-hmm. that you need to have a vibrant space yeah. and then they're going and checking out the farmers market yeah. and then they're going over to sugar and spice a new back alley restaurant mm-hmm. and grabbing a, a, co- a cake and a coffee mm-hmm. uh, and so it, it brings more people into the space which kind of creates uh, this critical mass of people and creates this vibrancy mm-hmm. that's really hard to,
0: to quantify in monetary terms yeah. but really easy to feel yeah, and I like it's undeniable that you feel it. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is like, how do you decide? You look at that wall. How do you decide whether we're gonna pay uh, a de San Miguel fifty thousand dollars to mm-hmm. do it, or we're we gonna pay a local guy five thousand dollars to do it? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's I, like how do you make that judgment? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it's how much can you get, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that mural, as an example, was a, a mix of public and private, but mm-hmm. it was mostly private, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, um, you know collection of different groups coming together, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, like what's, what's the call on that? Obviously something is better than nothing, right? Yeah, But you know, how, how would you make that call of spending, you know, a marginal amount versus
1: a, a large amount? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, there's a couple aspects to think about. Um, I mean, we, we have the Rust Magic mural festival every year, which, mm-hmm. which takes private and public money and puts murals all over the city and brings international and local artists to yeah. the city to do these murals. I think with the mural at El Cortez, uh, it was a bit of getting this high profile artist Mm -hmm. um, who does really amazing work to come in and really create a statement piece. Um, To one, showcase mural culture, Mm -hmm. showcase how beautiful it can really, really be. Um, And and the developer and um, the community really believe that, you know, this is such a huge space. Mm -hmm. This is going to be such an impactful mural. Um, let's really spend the money and get someone who is you know just world renowned in yeah. doing it um, and you see that in, in, in art across across the world too why at exhibitions we have people that are flown in from across the world and paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to exhibit at the Art Gallery of Alberta when right. we have tons of amazing local talent yeah. you need a mix you need, you need to bring in some of that you know wow and some of that fame mm-hmm. uh, of course people love fame that's why we yeah. have all Um, But you also need to support local artists. Yeah. And so I think we've done a good job of that, allowing international artists to come in and, and paying some of them to come and do this amazing work. But we have amazing muralists in the city. We have amazing artists in the city that can do just as large scale projects as well. And we're giving them a chance as well. Right. So I think we're gonna
0: do it, we're doing a good mix. Of course, because the art is so subjective, you're able to say, Oh, this was done by a world renowned guy. Yeah. Mean? But if you took the exact same thing and put yeah. it next to oh, this is done by a local guy, obviously people are gonna think that the one done by the world renowned guy is better. Mm-hmm. But I mean it's probably also a good it's a good experience to get local people intermingling with these international people mm-hmm. who are better better known you know like try and raise the bar a little bit give them a little bit of inspiration be like wow like you know it's it, anytime you see someone do something in your field that's just way better than you you kind of you're like wow okay that's what i got to do to get to the next level right mm-hmm. so there's probably a little bit of opportunity for growth in that sense no
1: absolutely and, and that's not to say that you know he's extremely talented and that mural is is a masterpiece mm-hmm. um but it, you know it's it's you need that mix to not just mentor some of the younger artists in the city, but you need that mix to inspire people about the culture and, and kind of raise more awareness to it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, when, when they did that initiative, um, media from across the country was reporting about it and saying, look at this amazing new mural by this world renowned artist in Edmonton of all places. Uh, you know, in this, <laughs> okay, people say yeah, that. in this back alley street at a Mexican restaurant, like, yeah. you know, and, Brings the profile to it, yeah. Um, which just increases the culture in the city and mural culture, uh, and that allows other developers to say, "Hey, w- let's do that as well." Mm-hmm. But maybe let's let's
0: support one of our local artists and let's let's get them out to do something. Yeah. What's like what's the lifespan of something like that, or in something like Rainbow Road, for mm-hmm. example? Uh,
1: on a wall, you're looking at you know ten years. Yeah. Um, five to ten years if it's if it's well cured and. You know, updated once in a while, and mm-hmm. um, well done on good material. Rainbow Road will probably only be about two or three years. Mm-hmm. One, because people are walking all over it. Yeah. Um, the asphalt was pretty beaten up when we got to it too. I mean, we laid down twenty six gallons of traffic paint yeah. as a primer just to seal everything up. And wow, you know, so that's pushing
0: around with squeegees and stuff. yeah we had, a,
1: we had a, an oil sprayer i'm pretty sure home depot hates me right now because <laughs> i put oil paint in their sprayer and uh, <laughs> not always supposed to do that whoopsies um but uh it'll be about two or three years and, and but it's meant for people to to walk on and yeah. engage with and uh hopefully we'll be invited back in three years to <laughs> do something else and create uh, another mario kart level
0: yeah well it's interesting obviously you're how mm-hmm. old are you 24 24. so you're you know you kind of everyone between you and me grew up with that that n64 yeah you genre like you are you seeing more artists kind of bringing in that sort of millennial type you guys can't see me but I'm doing (laughs) airplay that millennial style artwork like is that sort of the new trend like the throwbacks I always say in like film Never underestimate the power of nostalgia, mm-hmm. right? Like it is one of the strongest subconscious psychological draws to people yeah. that um, that I think you can never discount. And obviously, you tapped into that with Rainbow Road a little bit. Yeah, I think nostalgia is
1: extremely powerful, and we're starting to see, you know, a lot more artists use nostalgia um, to evoke this kind of response in people. Mm-hmm. Um, with Rainbow Road, you know, I, I remembered back to being sick as a child. You know, when I was sick, or when I think being sick, yeah, I would just stay home and play Mario Kart in my basement for fifty-fifty. Yeah, like nine hours, I would play right. Mario Kart for yeah. just <laughs> sitting on my N sixty-four in my underwear, trying to make that jump off a Rainbow Road yeah. to get the shortcut. Exactly right, um, at the, you know, being kind of quarantined for the last little bit mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of spending way too much time inside playing Mario Kart way too much. Not to say that I've been playing Mario Kart nine hours a day for the last couple of months, because <laughs> I, I haven't. Yeah, um, well check your online game right Yeah, we'll yeah. But it it kind of evoked that response to me. So I thought, hey, this is amazing. Why don't we bring this experience to to White Avenue? We really designed for experience. Yeah. And so bringing that nostalgia that so many people can enjoy, that kind of iconic nostalgia, mm-hmm. um, I think was really powerful. I think we're seeing a lot more artists and designers tap into you know previous things that we've done and doing them really well. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't always need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like Rainbow Road is when it, when it comes down to it is just colorful hexagons laid down on the street. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just need color and geometry to yeah. create a really engaging space. Right. Um, right. So you don't always need to reinvent the wheel and, and come up with this amazing new concept. I mean we do a bit of that too. We do a lot of uh, innovation with some of our pieces to kind of bring this new world view to it Mm -hmm. but tapping into nostalgia is a really great way to engage people with that space and it's really powerful so again you need a mix of both yeah i think we're seeing a lot more um kind of this millennial culture of tapping into to nostalgia Mm -hmm. and and thinking back to that
0: well and what's great is if it's visually striking then Mm -hmm. it doesn't even matter if people get the reference or not yeah it still looks cool right yeah yeah Yeah.
1: and i questioned even putting a name on it or doing anything about that because i I and I questioned even putting a logo on it honestly because I really wanted people just to be in that space mm-hmm. and just engage with it and engage yeah. with that alleyway. Yeah. I didn't want to really commercialize it. Mm-hmm. I ended up throwing my logo on there because mm-hmm. I would like to. Do guys more, gotta eat. Guys gotta, guys, eat. I guys like gotta to eat. do more <laughs> of these murals. Um, so I did end up doing that. Yeah. But uh, really, I just want people to to
0: walk down that alleyway and like feel this amazing pop culture Of course. Yeah. I, I think a name is super important, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it gives context and it gives people an ability to reference it. Right. Instead yeah. of saying, Oh, that colorful back out. It's like, no, like it's, 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 um, it's distinct. It's mm-hmm. rainbow road. I think that's super important. Right. Like, and you know, there's so many parts of the city where they've got, you know, they've got the actual community names, but mm-hmm. people don't know the names like that whole area at the top of the Glenora stairs like I don't know what that's called I know it's not Glenora so I just say yeah by the Glenora stairs you know I I think to have the landmark sort of terms even if they're just colloquial terms for places is really important because Mm -hmm. it gives people a a, sort of an anchoring to the city right I'll meet you on Rainbow Road I'll meet you at the Glenora stairs like it's something far more far more inviting than saying oh I'll meet you on White Ave and 105th Street you know yeah Yeah. well
1: it's really important I think branding as well just for, for certain areas. I mean, we, we did some work with the Old kona Business Association, um, a while back about kind of their east side mm-hmm. of Old kona and uh, we were kind of saying, you know, as you venture over to that east side, it's almost a different feel than the rest of White Avenue. It's yeah. almost a different feel from Old kona It's got this boomtown feel to it, these false facades and it's kind of a different feel. And so when I, Go over to that area, I'm not like meet me on the east side of White Avenue. You know what mm-hmm. what I'm saying, you know, go meet me by uh what's that pink building? Oh yeah, yeah Strathcona Spirits. Right. Right? So using these landmarks to kind of brand the area and then tapping into that. Yeah. And saying, you know, this is that district.
0: So obviously old Strathcona is the original Edmonton neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a lot of great historical buildings, but yeah. then you've got things popping up like uh, the new, like Remedy Building, right? Yeah. yeah. What's What's your take on sort of the interplay between historical and sort of more modern? Uh,
1: you know, I, I think that it, tastefully, um, it can be done really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, White Avenue is an interesting, interesting situation. Um, you know, on the on the west side, we do have these kind of two and three story buildings, uh, but as you further east it's all of these one-story buildings mm-hmm. and so redevelopment is inevitable mm-hmm. um i mean we're a growing city uh it is a heritage area it is a provincially protected area so there's there's things you have to follow but you can do a tasteful modern building that's sympathetic to the architecture around it and done really well but not overdone mm-hmm. uh, i think a lot of times what what we see is that uh people think if they just slap brick on uh, their facade mm-hmm. and their podium, and yeah. create a glass tower above it yeah. that they've somehow recreated an architectural style and somehow been sympathetic to to the history of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's I'll reference the McLaren downtown, yeah, um, which took over that that uh, bed and breakfast and created this redevelopment that you can really feel the old building in there yeah didn't you they can, actually it,
0: deconstruct the brick they, wall yeah brick by brick and then reassemble it yeah
1: I, I believe i think that one of the walls is completely um the reused bricks and then they had to bring some more in because right. it's really hard to do yeah um but you can feel that old building in the podium mm-hmm. and then it kind of transitions to this more modern one that still has accents of it. yeah um so if you can recreate that feel i think it could be done really tastefully right um, what I would hate to see is that White Avenue turns into you know, some of Vancouver's main streets where there's touches of brick here and there and people have felt that they've really tapped into the style. I, mm-hmm. I love the Raymond block. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's well done. I think the scale is perfect. Um, some people think it's too large for that area and too large for that block. Yeah. I, I disagree. I, I think that redevelopment is a good thing for that for that area. Mm-hmm. That site has sat undeveloped for years. Yeah. Um, Not to say that any development is good development, but I agree that that's a good concept. If it was, you know, five or six stories taller, I probably wouldn't Um, because we need to remember that we're on a main street. We still need this kind of sunshine and human scale Mm -hmm. and when you have a towering building right in front of you you don't
0: kind of feel that yeah we're not trying to be new york here right yeah well
1: it's it's we need to to spread things out right Mm -hmm. Uh, white avenue is going to be an amazing amazing place if we can spread out development over top of it not have these towering buildings yeah and kind of still uh, adhere to the history and still complement the architectural um i wouldn't say necessarily architectural style but the feeling right. of historical white avenue yeah um and old strathcona uh and kind of build on that knowing that we need to densify our city and knowing that redevelopment is is not only inevitable but can be a really good thing yeah um so you know instead of uh fighting it and having three pockets that could develop into huge buildings and the rest protected. Mm -hmm. If we can spread it out over White Avenue, spread it out over Old Shot still have this critical mass of people in the area, but also be sympathetic to history Mm -hmm. and to amazing architectural style and amazing elements that White Avenue has, I think we'll be really successful.
0: Yeah, you're always going to want to toe the line between the people who are just jamming progress down your throat and the people who are a little more, um, you know, Centered on the heritage of this fight. Yeah. So who ultimately is responsible for like making those decisions? Like who, which, which, which organizations or which bodies kind of work in, in unison to make that happen?
1: Um, well, so, so there's a couple of different things. It's a provincially protected area. Mm-hmm. It's actually a historical area. Yeah. Um, so the province is involved in that. Um, certain buildings are on the, the city's register of historical buildings. Yeah. So it's, it's like a, the MKT building. Yeah. Right, so it's yeah. a municipally protected building. Um, and so there's limits on what you can do uh, as you buy and redevelop with that building. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, are those limits reasonable in, in your in your estimation? Uh, a de- little stringent.
1: It depends on the building. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think they're a little stringent to work for. Um, I mean, it, it and very that's why very few developers actually do adaptive reuse. What we call yeah. it When you take one of these historic buildings and really bring it back to life, because it takes one a lot of money. Um, it's a costly endeavor. The city provides some grants and provides some money to help out with that, but it's it's quite costly to do. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to do perfectly yeah. and right, um, and and there's lots of regulations about uh, you know how you can redevelop. It, you know, on the, the hardest side that you can't add any more kind of uh, uh, height to a building, mm-hmm. or room, or exterior changes or anything like this on the lesser side you know maybe you you can't get the density that you you would like on that site so there's varying restrictions for certain buildings Mm -hmm. um i think overall we've been a little heavy-handed that being said i look at the city now and i'm thankful that we were yeah um because there have been some proposals for buildings that you know wouldn't have have looked amazing and wouldn't have respected that heritage yeah um so you know on the one hand i think that there's compromise on the other hand I'm glad that we have not because we have some great historical assets especially yeah. in the South Cone area but on 124th Street on 104th Street yeah um, when you think of why 104th Street is so successful um, as this kind of character street mm-hmm. it was a direct city effort mm-hmm. for 25 years to, to actually control that and make sure that people are developing in this kind of set criteria that allowed this amazing mixed use street to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not to say we should be overly prescriptive, but guiding those things yeah. can really create an amazing street.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what 104th really is like the only street downtown that has a feel to it, mm-hmm. that feels like a neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. I know people who live on 105th and they're you know, always cruising down there and like see the same people every day, they recognize your dog, all that yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Like it's, I always like, I thought that about New York when I was there too. It's like, it's a gargantuan city, mm-hmm. but every little pocket has its own kind of community feel to it. So it doesn't feel like this this um, mammoth that you have to, or this concrete jungle, right?
1: Yeah, it's about having pockets, these little pockets of character. And yeah. that's, that's why we love to kind of, oh, we call it activating underutilized spaces, but finding these little hidden pockets of culture and really, really capitalizing on it. So like 104th Street, the Neon Sign Museum, Mm -hmm. is just a perfect addition to that space and like completes this little pocket of character that you won't find anywhere else downtown. And I don't want to find anywhere else downtown, Yeah, exactly. I want it to be that. If you you go just uh, to the west, I mean in about four years you're going to find this warehouse campus Central Park, Mm -hmm. this huge Grand Central Park that's really going to transform that little pocket of the area. Then you go to the east side, and you have the quarters, mm-hmm. which is this—you know—it's—it's going to be this kind of uh, a, a grungy and and underground art scene mm-hmm. um, that's going to be you know, just so cool. So you have these little pockets of character around the city that
0: I think if we really capitalize on and yeah. support, uh, that's how we create vibrancy. So who do you who do you work with primarily at the city in order to get these things approved? And like you know, you have an idea for concept here. Like wh- mm-hmm. where do you like where do you start? Uh, we,
1: we work a lot with the BIAs, and so I mean, they're an arm's length organization from the city. Yeah. BIA um, yeah, is what? Uh, a business improvement area. And okay. So it's a, a, a designated area where businesses pay a levy essentially mm-hmm. to an improvement association, um, which beautifies the area, works on business retention, works on um, business improvement, kind of you know, the things that one business couldn't do on their own. Like, the reason we have taxes, mm-hmm. you can't do it on your own. So a group of people come together and beautify the space. Right. Um, and so the, the city, they're a mandated organization by the city. Uh, and so a lot of the BIA directors will reach out to us and say, Hey, we want to beautify our space. Mm-hmm. We have this kind of underutilized space. Um, what are your ideas for how we get this done? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go to the city, um, whether that's, you know, the, the planner for the area, Sometimes the development officer, or sometimes the BIA li- liaison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are certain groups at the city, like Urban Renewal, that kind of deal with downtown revitalization um, or certain area revitalization projects. And I personally say, How do I get this done? Right. Um, you know, we have this idea, we want to do this, we have support. How do I do this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think sometimes if you ask, can I do this, <laughs> the immediate answer is a no. A lot of times we ask, can we do this and yeah. people tell us no. So I've learned to always ask, how do we get this done? Um, you know, just lay out the process for us. Uh, and I'm going to tell you if it's too prescriptive, but yeah. how do we activate this space? Because we know there's benefits in doing it. Yeah. We can show you all the projects we've done where businesses have seen benefits people have loved it Mm -hmm. Uh, it creates vibrancy and culture yeah uh and so this is a good thing for everyone how do we get this done right Uh, and for the most part the city's been really willing to work with bia's and with us especially now in in this kind of recent pandemic to say yeah this is what you guys need to survive okay let's do this and let's figure out how to get it done i think for a long time the the city was quite prescriptive with Allowing these kind of whimsical and, and placemaking things to get done, you know I don't remember a time previously where the city would let me paint a large colorful mural down a yeah, street yeah. Or on a sidewalk or on an alley um, And since they changed that alley to Spurline Alley, it was pretty much. Hey, you got funding for it. Go yeah. do it. Yeah um, Well, it's just like
0: that, you know, the first kind of domino to fall, right? They started these things get momentum. They see how a positive an impact it has yeah. how many people are talking about it it's reported on the news mm-hmm. it's all over social media like it it definitely and it makes people proud to be from edmonton and be mm-hmm. in edmonton and i mean like like how do you put a price on that like well, like the more people are proud to be here living mm-hmm. here the more people are going to try and do things in their own little way to make it a better place yeah.
1: right well we call it place branding yeah and so you know it's it's in one essence, a marketing strategy about, we've beautified this space. I mean, City was posting about Rainbow Road. Yeah. They're kind of a, a countrywide and international news organization tapped into lifestyle and culture, yeah. saying like, this is a crazy new whimsical space in Edmonton. Of all places. Of all places, right? Um, and so it's, it's kind of a, a place branding, right? You're inviting people to come see this exciting new feature in Edmonton, this cool little whimsical feature. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- that being said, the, the city process to, to get through that, while it was pretty easy this time, I mean, there's quite a few things you have to go through mm-hmm. to realize those projects. You know, I think some people think that, you know, one, they think that oh, tax, my tax dollars are being spent on this. I mean, this was a private commission, but mm-hmm. um, and two, like, oh, someone at city council just signed off and allowed this to happen. Yeah. Well, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, it has to go through a bunch of different channels to to kind of get whether it's approval or whether it's uh, input. I mean, we had a, a Zoom call with, I think, 19 people before uh, doing this mural just to I make sure idea. everyone was on board, oh right? Because there's different stakeholders. Yeah, there's different stakeholders that, yeah. that you know, the, the city is a huge organization and has uh, a lot of people that need to be involved with these decisions. Luckily, yeah. they've expedited it and it's gone really, really smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of background work before yeah. we got, into painting mm-hmm. and then there was 36 hours on my hands and knees yeah. to paint the whole
0: thing <laughs> yeah the guys gotta eat right yeah <laughs> yeah I think that's People are so quick to, to be judgmental and dismissive things, mm-hmm. especially people doing things, right? Especially, especially, especially if you feel insecure about the fact that you're not doing anything or you're not contributing. Mm-hmm. It's far easier to hate on something I and mean, like, oh, pff, that's a stupid idea, or, or I don't want to spend our our city dollars on that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, look, guys, like at least we're making an effort here. Like yeah. we're trying to do something with a tangible goal, tangible like objectives in mind, mm-hmm. um, and and something that's going to be good for everyone
1: yeah well and you know i think and i I wrote about this previously in a piece in a letter to city council but i think there's this growing notion and i i really really dislike it that the taxes need to be used for basic services Mm -hmm. um and those basic services are roads fire and police Mm -hmm. Um, like we're playing sims 2 Mm -hmm. you know we're in a globally competitive market for people and capital and ideas and companies and headquarters and uh everything mm-hmm. and people are mo- more mobile than ever i mean you and i and most people in this city could get up and move wherever we want yep. in the world i mean maybe not right now because mm-hmm. we're in the middle of a pandemic yeah but in generally general season, you know, maybe. yeah well, it better you know, there a safer place to be better there yeah um but we can we can go and move and bring our capital ideas anywhere we want yeah and so how is Edmonton gonna be the city that attracts those people? It's not gonna be that we don't have any potholes. Mm-hmm. And it's not gonna be that, um, you know, we, we added a lane to the heading. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those are important things. I mean, I get as pissed off as anyone else does when I hit a huge pothole. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we're, we're talking about where tax dollars get spent, it's half a billion dollars for a freeway, the best ROI, mm-hmm. or investing in vibrancy and culture and business ecosystems and innovation. Um, things that are going to bring people to this city Mm -hmm. Um, you know we're a 21st century city it's not about roads and police and fire anymore Mm -hmm. it's about creating vibrancy and a culture that people want to be in Mm -hmm. a city that people want to explore that they can actually see themselves living Mm -hmm. that they can bring their families to Um, you know I think gone are the days where we want to live in a house on a nice paved road drive to our office, work from nine to five, drive home, and you know, sit in our small backyard until 11 p.m. go to bed. You know, we want vibrancy and we want to be a part of a culture in the city. And the city has an active role to play in that, in Mm -hmm. establishing and setting that table um, for people to experience that. And it's gonna take some money. Um, So, you know, I'm not saying that everyone's property taxes need to be astronomically high, Mm -hmm. Um, but if we wanna be a globally competitive city, And we want to attract people. We want to be the Vancouver or the Montreal or the Toronto. I mean, there's a reason why people move to Vancouver to be absolutely dead broke. Yeah. And it's not just because it's warmer weather. You know, it's not just because there's a beach there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Otherwise, they'd move to places in southern Alberta or move to Surrey or Richmond. As the kids say these days, it's a vibe. Yeah. It it is a vibe though. (laughs) Seriously, It, it seriously is. And so if people are willing to go dead broke. Yeah. Um, and you know, cripple themselves financially to live in Vancouver for mm-hmm. three years, we need to tap into a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, not saying, that, you know, we're, we're obviously contextually significant. Mm-hmm. We're a colder city. We're, we're a bunch of other things that Vancouver isn't. But if we can create a culture and create kind of a, an ecosystem and a financial ecosystem, an innovation ecosystem, technology ecosystem, mm-hmm. uh, where companies and capital and people want to be and want to live Uh, You know, that includes things like light rail transit, a good public transit system, uh, walkability in neighborhoods, having this kind of 15-minute city where you can get everything you need within 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, creating livable spaces, better urban design. All these things are needed to have that happen. Uh, And those things are going to cost money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, are we going to invest in those type of things or are we going to invest in adding lanes to a freeway? which we know historically has a horrible ROI. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like buying a car, it depreciates as soon as you do it. We're already adding lanes to the Hyundai, Yeah. which we built yeah. already, right? Like
0: you said too, like you build it and people end up filling it in and using it. So the more lanes you build, the more people are gonna it's, end up using those roads. It's induced
1: demand. I mean, yeah. you, you wouldn't buy a bigger belt to fix being obese, <laughs> I like right? like that, that's good. Like it just, people fill it up and then we're gonna have to widen it again. Elastic pants. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the solution. lose the belt altogether. <laughs> Um, but it, it, so it's, it's priorities, yeah. right. Um, and I'm not saying we need to just completely slash any money we put into roads or parks mm-hmm. or anything like that. But if our priorities are building freeways, as opposed to building a livable and culturally significant city, mm-hmm. I think we have things wrong. And I think we're not going to see that move and that investment into our, our region. Yeah. And so I really take issue with, with a lot of people that say, you know, I'm tired of paying property taxes. I just want my road. My fire mm-hmm. and my police. Yeah. Um, one because you know that's not the basics for everyone. Um, if you're a person that doesn't own a car, yeah. what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a person that needs public transit to get to work, you know you don't care about the, the potholes in Toogler, mm-hmm. right? You're maybe you're going from a core neighborhood to downtown in your in your bus. So we need to build a city for everyone, mm-hmm. and the basics have evolved from filling in potholes. Mm-hmm. You know that's not a city that I want to live in. That just fills in their potholes. Mm-hmm. I want to live in a city that you know engages me culturally, yeah. and that I feel uh, a part of, and feel a part of a culture. And I'm like I, you know, a horrible financial agent. I'm fiscally very irresponsible. <laughs> There's four feral cups sitting on my counter. I just well, had. yeah, because you're an artist. None of us are. <laughs> I, I had a, a greek sandwich for breakfast, yeah. and you know what? I went back a second time and had the OG for lunch. That's two times in one day. That's $25. Are you, in sandwiches on, the pay- are you on the payroll today? Payroll? I should be, but, it, I, but I do it for the culture. Yeah. I do it for that, that vibe of like going outside and seeing people at that sandwich shop and yeah. seeing my friend that, that cooks there and saying, yeah. Hey man, what's going on? Grabbing a coffee and walking back and mm-hmm. seeing that there was a protest down the street. And I talked to one of the, like, the boilermakers there for 10 minutes about what was going on. Yeah. You don't see those kind of things in, in a city that just provides roads.
0: And you drive to your office, you drive back. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ultimately about, like, social interactions and, mm-hmm. and, and collisions between people. And, and I think the same way as it is in an office, you know, yeah. like it is in public, too. Like, you want to be able to bump into people, see yeah. people. It just fosters that sense of community, that pride. Yeah. It's good for mental health. It's good for all that stuff. Um, and, I, you know, happy people are productive people. Yeah and you know it's the, the literature shows that the longer your average commute directly correlates to your to your um, overall satisfaction in life yeah so you know in addition to keeping people off the roads or, or moving them more efficiently like mm-hmm. you know what also helps potholes is less cars on the road yeah. right so yeah. i mean there's there's lots of problems that i don't think you and i are capable of solving but i think i think this discussion is a really good uh, look into everything mm-hmm. that goes behind uh, on behind the scenes and, and the things that are people are actually thinking about and taking into account because again it's you know the, you, you pass through the city every day mm-hmm. but rarely do you stop to think like what went into making this street the way that it is mm-hmm. or, or lack thereof right yep. hopefully it is, it is thought and planning and and a little bit of love, like like mm-hmm. you guys are doing. So I think it's awesome stuff um, that you're doing, and I hope that you continue to push these projects, get more yeah. of them, and bigger, yeah. and and you know, paint the town, as they say.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, we're we're extremely excited to to continue kind of doing this work, and you know, there's there's a million different decisions that that go into play when when it comes to to something in the public realm, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I hope uh, you know I have a commitment to this city. Um, you know, and you, you didn't grow up here, you know, before you were 22, but mm-hmm. so we kind of coined this term, Deadmonton in my generation. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember it well, Visiting, yeah, yeah. 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 There's nothing to do in this city. It's mm-hmm. dead. It's void of culture. It's void of anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just revel at that. I hate that. And so I've actively been specifically working to get that sealed in its casket, mm-hmm. and I'll continue to, to work. I've made a commitment that I don't want this to be Deadmonton. There's so much culture and vibrancy in this city. Um, and we just need to, to capitalize on that and, and make the decision to be that cool Edmonton winter city that only Edmonton can be, mm-hmm. you know, we can compare ourselves to other city, but Edmonton is something that only we can be. Yeah. It's so unique. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to continue working on that vision and, uh, luckily, people have agreed with me
0: so far. So. <laughs> you've got, as you said at the start, you've got good taste. Yeah. Uh, so, where can people find uh, more about you, your blog, mm-hmm. uh, upcoming projects, things like that?
1: Yeah. So you can uh, you can follow the studio on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, studio etc. Yeg. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at my super long last name that uh, I'm sure Shane will link in the, yeah, <laughs> in it'll, the be, it'll be linked but say it again because I've yeah. never heard it spoken
0: uh, Kynonauticus Kynonauticus yeah geez you sound like some 17th century explorer that's, Dutchman that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah um, and then uh, you can follow me at
1: medium at Amos Kynonauticus which is where I post some Musing's about uh, design and architecture and and city building, but um, if you follow the studio and you follow me, you'll probably see what we're we're up to and look uh, look for some some weird whimsical uh, things hanging around in your streets.
0: Instagrammable. Chances are we had a hand in it. Awesome. And who at the city do people need to lobby to support you? (laughs) Who 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 should be getting the angry tweets and and emails? Twelve councillors and one mayor. So,
1: Um, (laughs) no, I I just uh, you know. Anytime you engage with, with the city or with with any whether it be an elected representative or, or someone that's in the community that's a big community builder, mm-hmm. um, uh, I would just say you know if you feel that culture and vibrancy and you enjoy walking down a street and running into people, mm-hmm. you enjoy kind of that that stroll to the coffee shop and seeing these cool whimsical uh, elements on your street. You enjoy going to downtown and feeling that energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let them know that that. That's what you want to see in your city as mm-hmm. an emphasis on, on culture and vibrancy. Yeah. Um, and, and let them know that you know that that's going to create a better city for everyone.
0: Get informed, get involved, get a part of the conversation, yeah. go follow Amos on all his stuff, which I will link in the show notes. Thanks man. This was fun. I appreciate yeah, the time. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. All right. Later. Hey guys. hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, huge thanks to Amos for coming on, joining me. That was a pleasure. Uh, Make sure you guys check out the episode links to follow Amos and design, etc. to keep up to date on what they're doing to make this city better for you and I. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.